you'll open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, and we will be walking through, uh, again, I've certainly enjoyed uh, being taken part in the Together Conference with uh, Glenn Park and with your church family, with part of your church family uh, together with us this weekend, and uh, when I say I'm very thankful to be here, I always typically say that to c- crowds who really didn't have a whole lot uh, with choosing me to be here, uh, so I recognize that. Uh, so thank you for hearing my name and not leaving, is what I would say. Appreciate uh, the most. Uh, as Rusty said, uh, we have been friends uh, for about 11 years now, and we started out as very young men in ministry uh, who were going to take over the world, and we knew everything about how to do it. Uh, and now, 11 years later, uh, we've gotten a little older and a little bit more knowledgeable of what we can and cannot do. And so we're very thankful for the friendship that has grown uh, in that time. And on behalf of Southeast Texas, thank you for taking him away uh, for this time. Uh, But uh, we were devastated by Mallory and the kids, but uh, we're thankful uh, for your willingness to uh, uh, take care of them as well. Um, If you, uh, like I said, if you open your Bibles to Isaiah 6, we're going to be looking at on mission. And so kind of following that weekend out of the idea of mission, but on mission because of what? Uh, We want to be on mission in response to the very glory of, of God. And so Isaiah chapter 6 speaks of God's glory and speaks of that in a certain time frame. Before we begin, I want to show you share a little bit about my family. Um, I'm glad to be heading their way, even though they will all be asleep. Uh, my wife will say, did you make it okay? And she will go right back to sleep tonight. She starts uh, school tomorrow, and so uh, she's a school teacher. Uh, my son on the far left there is a junior at Texas A&M. I don't want to... That's a, <laughs> Are you supposed to say whoop? Uh, no, that's not uh, apparently around here. Uh, but uh, he is a junior. He'll start as a junior this uh, this fall. Uh, uh, in between uh, Trevor and Mom is uh, Kyle, and he is a freshman, uh, going uh, incoming freshman in high school. And then my wife Ann. We've been married for 24 years this month, and uh, what what a joy that is right there. And then uh, me. And what I wanted to say about me is, uh, as he said, I, I serve as a director of missions is my title uh, for the Sabine Natchez Baptist area. And so I uh, served 98 churches uh, in that area, one church plant coming uh, probably this next year uh, in one uh, area. And so we're very excited about that partnership and what I get to do. I get to come and encourage pastors and and in, in seasons where a church is pastorless, I get to help a church with a, a search process. And uh, what a joy it is when we get to do things like uh, training and education and missions together. Uh, man was not meant to, to be alone, certainly, and I don't think local churches were meant to just do everything in isolation. When we can partner together for God's glory, for God's kingdom, I'm very thankful to be a part of that work. Uh, last thing I wanted to say with uh, your, your great state uh, that looks like a, an easy buck oven that had somebody take a bite out of the top of it. Um, uh, we, I want to say I am one quarter Kansan. Very thankful for that. My grandmother is from Severy, Kansas and uh, 70 miles uh, to, the, to the east, and so uh, we would spend about every uh, two or three summers uh, up in this great state, and so I'm thankful to be back uh, in Kansas once again. So I'm thankful to be here. Uh, my grandmother repented of her sins and went to Texas as soon as she could. Now, uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 6, and we're going to begin with this great passage of Scripture, and he's going to start off uh, this, this, this great prophet uh, certainly, when you think about Isaiah, uh, you're, you're, I think sometimes we automatically go to Isaiah 53 and the, the great uh, Christological uh, prophecy of this suffering servant that was to come. 
But Isaiah was a man who was among his people, wanting to serve them uh, in a way that they, he knew that they were going in a wrong direction. In fact, in about 100 years after Isaiah, they are going to go into bond. They are going to go uh, into uh, uh, captivity uh, into Babylon. And so this is, he is trying to call out to his people. And he has not been so successful so far as we kind of catch with that. And we're going to see that it's not going to go too great afterwards. But there, we have this remarkable moment in Isaiah 6 that we, we want to capture this morning. And so if you'll turn with me, uh, as I told the group uh, earlier in the, in the uh, weekend, that uh, I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. If you don't have a CSB, uh, there'll be an altar call that you can repent and get one this next week. Uh, but no, whatever version of the Bible that you are reading... Uh, to discover things about God's word, please dive into it. It is like honey off of the comb, David said, and we need to be delighting in God's word. Uh, so in starting uh, chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, being uh, Isaiah, saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. And seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, now this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is removed and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, it is a blessing to be uh, with this church that I have been praying for uh, for over five years. In reality, Lord, I thank you for what you have doing here. And I pray that you would continue to use them for your honor and for your glory. Uh, Lord, what a blessing it is uh, to be gathered with these saints today. Lord, I pray that we would make much of you and your glory and your name. And from that, that we would respond in kind. Here I am. Send me. I pray that we would be about the mission that you've called us to. Uh, Lord, it is, as we look at the troubles of our world, we, we would think, we could imagine that the days could be drawing short. But Lord, I pray that we would be diligent in the work that you've called us to. That's all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year that King Uzziah died. Um, it is a marker of time. Now, they, you know, obviously, they didn't have they didn't go by a whole lot of dates. This is about, by the way, this is about 750-ish BC. This is uh, a long, so this is about 250 years after David. Uh, the, the the nations have long been uh, divided into Israel and Judah. They have been split apart for hundreds of years, and now they are coming to this point uh, where this king of Judah, Uzziah. Uh, is had been reigning for 57 years about the last 10 years of that uh, he's had leprosy and his son jotham has been kind of ruling as a, a providential prince um, and so he uh, this is uzziah had been on the throne for a long long time isaiah we believe is probably a near kinsman to uzziah uh, that he is probably somebody who knows him very well probably in his court 
Uh, we know that because he uh, writes a genealogy uh, according to Second Chronicles. He is someone who writes a, a biography of his great king that he loved very much. Uzziah is considered one of the great kings or the good kings of, of the history of Judah, um, except uh, he did something towards the end of his ministry. He thought, I've been, I've been following God so faithfully, I'm going to go into the, uh, the um, tabernacle and I'm going to start lighting the incense that's reserved for the priests. And because of that, because of his rebellion, uh, the Bible tells us that he uh, received leprosy. He's going to have it uh, to the end of his life for the next 10 years. But during this reign, he is going to see some great things. He's going to see the military power of his nation rise to about 137,000 troops. It is going to be something that he is going to train them up. He is going to build up fortifications, and he's going to do some things. However, he was supposed to be tearing down some of the the, the Asherah poles and the altars that were given to the Baals, and so he hadn't completed that task. And so there were some things that he hadn't accomplished for the glory of God. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a nation who has a great military power, but has kind of distanced itself from some of the callings that God has placed on it. I don't know if you've ever heard of a nation like that before. But the idea of, uh, of Isaiah is living in a land where this, this king uh, has been ruling on the throne or around the throne for 57 years. And so just to place that, that is the, the, the second term of LBJ to today. That is a long time to be king. He has been the ruler. He has been the leader of his country, and now he is gone. It is a marker of time that he has, has a reference point to. For most of us in the room, there's a reference point uh, on September the 11th, 2001. You can immediately recall where you were and what things were taking place. We use it as a reference point. We'll say, well, that was, I know that when that was because it was before 9-11, or we'll say it was after 9-11. Uh, the generation just above me, uh, most of you remember what, what grade you were in or what class you were in when you had the news when the president, Kennedy, had been assassinated. And so you have a reference point uh, that time frame you know that marker uh, when I was a, a youngster the idea of the challenger blowing up and uh, that so many school students because of Christy McAuliffe were were watching online or watching on the online there was no online watching on television and so we were watching and, and, the, and the challenger blew up and we were confused it was a sad day for our country and so we have reference points that we all can mark time and so Isaiah is saying in the year that King Uzziah died that reference point I saw Yahweh. I saw the Lord. And so that's a pretty remarkable statement. Sometimes we read passages in Scripture and we just kind of go through it. I saw the Lord. In this throne where this king is no longer sitting there, Jotham is now taking responsibility in this throne. This, this throne is empty for this season in our hearts. This throne has eternally been sat upon by the Lord. He is on his throne. And so he has uh, the first thing that he wants to mention. By the way, all of our points today are going to have the big, uh, big V word here. The first thing I want to say is vision of the Lord's presence. When we are going through moments of crisis, when we have things of, of change or doubt, we want to look to the Lord. Lord, what are you doing in my life? And you want to have a vision from the Lord. The Bible says that people without a vision are people who perish, that we may, must be people who seek out a vision from the Lord, vision of the Lord's presence. I saw the Lord. And when we see what the Lord is desiring for us to do, we need to have a response, just as Isaiah is going to have a response to that vision from the Lord. 
We want to see you work, oh God. We have many songs that proclaim, Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to see what you are doing amongst our people. And so the idea of calling out to God, I, I want to see who you are. I want to tell you that one of the ways that we can see God on a regular basis is delighting in his word. And we can discover what truths God has for us. And, and we can, if, if, if there's doubt of any other thing, we can dive into God's word and say, Lord, I'm going to do that uh, that you would ask me to do. A vision of the Lord's presence. But in the midst of uh, this vision, he also has a response to the volume of the Lord's majesty. Notice what it says as we continue on. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. And these seraphim, these burning ones, these angels, are, are, were standing around him, above him, and they had six wings. And with two, they cover their faces because the glory of God shines on them. And so they cover their faces from the glory of God. And with two, they covered their feet because their, their workmanship is not worthy of such a one. They don't dare touch the same ground as this one. With two, they fly and they don't touch the ground because he is holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. They call out over and over and over. They know that this is a God who is set apart. And from that group, set apart. And from that group, set apart. That's what the word holy means and so what they're saying there is no one like our god by the way the same song that they are singing here 750 bc they're still singing in 90 a.d in john's vision maybe a different verse of that when they sing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and who is and who is to come they are the reality of of calling out to him and they're they're, they're proclaiming that he is holy above all things and notice it says the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of the voices. I love the picture first uh, of the first verse where it says the hem of his robe filled the temple. That his majestic robe is, is touching every crevice of the room. When I think about the, the idea of majesty with that and authority that comes with this royal robe, I also think about the picture of Jesus and, and as he's walking through a group of people. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood. And she said what? If I can just touch the hem of his garment i can be healed my friends there is healing in the very throne room of god but there's also the picture of that in verse four the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of his voices praise god i've only been to california one time uh that that was a joke um uh, uh, it's a great state and the idea of uh, beautiful by the way the beautiful state but the idea of when there there's these ideas of a state that shakes i don't know about that i'm not too, too fond of that but the idea of one of the things that they say if, they, if there's not a safe room like there is for the tornadoes back here just a evacuation notice if there's ever needed uh there, there's a safe room back here but in the idea of safe rooms are also built in california if there's not that they tell you go to the inner part of the of the house or the doorway maybe even stand on the threshold of an inner doorway because that's one of the safer places it's a load-bearing place and so we recognize that maybe we're safe there there's no safe place the foundations of the doorway shake at the sound of the voices calling out to god in his glory and the temple's filled with smoke and and all of the 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 theologians say that that's a representation of the holy spirit's presence in the in the very throne room of god 
There's a volume of his majesty. It's, it's understanding that there's, this is a magnificent thing that, that Isaiah is beholding in this vision of Yahweh seated on his throne. Man, what, a, what an awesome moment this is. But in the midst of this volume, there is a, a verification. He verifies his own iniquity in verse 5. Then I said, this is awesome. That's what he said, no? He said, no, woe is me. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of books and movies about heavenly visitation. And I want to make sure that as a church family that you get your theology about heaven based on this book and not another type of book or another type of movie. It's a great thought to hold Pawpaw's hand and, and walk down streets of gold and do all those things. But the first response, there's four heavenly visitations that we see in Scripture. And every one of those responses is the first tendency of all those people that have this vision is to lay down their hands and their heads before God and say, I'm about to be obliterated because I'm a sinner in the presence of someone who is set apart, set apart, set apart. I am about to be destroyed. And so his first response isn't wow, it is woe is me for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I don't know if you've turned on the television lately. Are we not this as well? And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, I'm, I'm about to be destroyed. We need to be people who understand that we stand before a holy God. Some of our songs, and as just a safe place that I can say this, certainly even coming out of my home state of Texas, uh, let me just tell you, uh, don't get your theology from country music. Uh, really any other kind of secular music, but the idea of me and God, me and God like two peas in a pod, like Jesus is my friend and we're sitting on the back of a pickup truck, that is not Isaiah's representation of this one who is sitting lofty on his throne. He recognized that he is a holy, holy God. And yes, there are, just like there is relationship points of a relationship that we would have with, a, with an earthly father that has friendly moments with us and, and, and we have these, these ideas of, of relationship building that needs to take place. Yes, God delights in the love and affection of his children, but he is holy and we are not. And the idea that when we come to God, yes, he, we can be received by him. There is a grace, there is a mercy, there is a love, but there ought to be on the front side of that a, a, a a reverent fear and respect for the holiness of God. That we understand that He is holy, holy, holy. And, and there's this wonderful picture of, of, of a, a repentant Isaiah falling on his face before God and saying, please don't obliterate me. And in the midst of this 750 years before this, this coming Jesus who was to come, by the way, from the lineage of this Uzziah in chapter 6, woe is me for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. He's bowed down low. And in the midst of this verification, verifying his own iniquity, we see a victory. We see a victory in the Lord's sacrifice. 
Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that had been taken from the altar with tongs. Just a side note, fun, fun fact, there really is no Hebrew word for tongs. Um, if there's a word that how you would translate that would be the getting things, all right? And the getting things, he get, he, there's, there's really no word. That we, we, we know what it is, but we, so we kind of inserted that, but there really was no Hebrew word for that. He's taken the altar with tongs, and he comes and he touches my mouth with it, and he says, now that is what has touched your lips. Your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Is a picture of this, this seraphim who is observing all of these things. And maybe his hands are, uh, his wings are covered over. And so he, he goes down to, there's a, between Isaiah out here and, and God on his high and lofty throne, there is an altar that is placed. And sometimes we lose context of that. We think altar means steps at the stage. And it, it certainly can be, by the way. But the idea of the altar was the place of sacrifice. And there is a thing that has been given over, that blood has been shed for the remission of sins. And, and there is a picture of that in the very throne room of God, this altar that is placed between Isaiah and him. And the seraphim flies down and picks up a coal from that and comes over to Isaiah and says, here. And he touches his lips with it, which is in a pretty sight. He touches his lips, but he says, because this has touched your lips. Because this has touched your lips your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. My goodness, what is this doing in Scripture? Well, dear friends, did you know that before you, seated right now, sitting right now in a, in a God who is on His high and lofty throne, 2,000 years ago, there was an altar placed for us at the very cross of Jesus Christ. Did you know that wasn't a pretty application of those things? And the idea of this, this, this altar that has been placed for us, the sacrifice that has been made for us, that he would be lifted up, I believe very, very firmly that this is, this is an understanding, this is a pre-incarnate Christ understanding of what was going to be coming in the person, work, death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he understands that this, this thing has been given unto him and he has been lifted up. And now that we, because we profess the name of Christ with our lips, our sin can be atoned for as well. That we have something that has been given for us that our iniquity might be removed. And it's because of a confession of faith and a repentance that we too can have right standing before God that we too can be forgiven. We can be 100% guilty as we walk in. But because of Jesus, we are 100% forgiven. What a joy he notices in that moment. This would be a great place to end this sermon, but I'm contractually bound to keep you to the, to the hour. Okay? But the idea of, of what this means is, yes, we have a forgiveness that's found in Christ, but that's not where this chapter ends. And so he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, or asking, Who should I send and who will go for us? And by the way, those pronouns of I and us are all the way back to the Hebrew. This is a Trinitarian verse that, that God can speak of himself both in the singular and in the plural. The reality of him calling out, who, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he immediately shoots up his hand and says, Here I am send me you ever had a little kid just happy to be a part of anything with you 
I mean, they get it so excited. You remember the kid in school that when the teacher would say, who would like to uh, solve this math problem? There was always that, that kid that none of us liked. And they, you put their hand up. And ooh, 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 miss, 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 miss. And they come on up, and they would solve the question. You're like, this guy, right? This guy. But that was the excitement that he has. I know something. Something has happened for me. And whatever it is, I don't even know the assignment yet. But whatever it is, the assignment, uh, and so the, I'm the last of the generation that remembers this little move, the assignment from the teacher. Who wants to go out and do this? Remember the chalkboards? Long before the expo markers, we had the little chalkboards. We had to clean out. There's an excitement when you get to do something, and there's an appreciation for that work. Who's going to go for us? And there's an excitement. I want to go. I want to do that. Let me do that. And there's a, there was a response to this, this victory that we have through the Lord's uh, sacrifice, and it's that we would volunteer to the Lord's service. Some of us want to wait to see what the options are, right? Let, let, me, let me find out what the assignments are. If you're, if you're assigning topics, let me, let me pick the one I want to do. No, when we understand what God has done for us, whatever the king, whatever the majesty, whatever the Lord wants to describe to me, I'm ready to do that thing. That's the response. But for so many of us, we, we, we fall into the, 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 the habit of, of Alka-Seltzerism. Alka-Seltzerism, y'all haven't heard about this? This is a great theological term. We get the renewal, we, we, we've been renewed, we have that moment where, you remember that moment of salvation when it seemed like, as Bunyan says, the pack of the burden comes off of us? And you feel that freedom that you have in Christ. And man, you do want to tell other people about what has happened to you. But it's like Alka-Seltzerism. It's plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a thrill it is. But then it starts to mellow out over time. We need to be people who have an active energy and a reminder that we can come again and again to the very throne room of God through His Word, through, through gathering together of His saints, and we can again and again get excited about what He has done for us so that we go out and respond, no matter what the assignment is, here I am, Lord, send me. Man, what a great opportunity that would be to end on a volunteer spirit, but that's not where this chapter ends. Notice what it says as we move on in the chapter. In verse 9, he says, And he replied, that's God, and he replied, Go, Say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. And then I said, until when, Lord? I love that question. Because my wife, when my, my sons were small, she would gather them together and say, there's people coming over. We need y'all to clean your rooms. And they would go in to clean their rooms and, and they would say, well, when, when can we be done? When it's finished. And I don't know about you, but their, their volunteer spirit would be, you know, they'd start, they'd start putting up the stuff that they really enjoy playing with that they didn't want, you know, somebody else to touch. And so they put those things up. They didn't want anybody coming over, cousins or anything coming over and messing with their stuff, so they put that up. And then it starts getting a little bit hard because they realize how much of a mess they've made. 
Anybody done this where you pull the bed sheet up? You start pushing things underneath? And what is the first thing mom does? Because she was a kid too once, right? She comes in and, no, no, no. This is all. Got to do this. Isaiah says, how long have I got to do this? What I was willing to do, anything you told me to do, you're, gonna t- you're telling me I'm going to go out and nobody's going to listen. How long do I have to do that? And notice what the Lord says in verse 11. Until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is ruined and desolate and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like a tiberent or an oak that leaves the stump when felled. You know, we who have been assigned to a volunteer, who volunteered to the Lord's service, we are responsible for rendering the verdict of the Lord's judgment. Of the Lord's judgment. We do have a message to the world that dying apart from Christ leads to everlasting damnation. And yet, in the midst of a, a reality of, of sin that separates us from God eternally, is a gospel, is a good news that reminds us that there is still hope for those who can call upon the name of the Lord. Look at what the last line of this of verse 11 says. The holy seed is its stump. That even though everything is going to be gone, it's going to go away for 70 years, you're going to be in captivity, these things are going to go away, I'm preserving a, a seed that will sprout into a, a tree of eternal life for all who find safety in his branches. I'm going to, to, to have a, something that is still there for, for the people who would return to this land so that this, this one this, this can come 750 years later in the person of of Jesus Christ. This is prophecy looking forward to a hope even after destruction, even after desolation, even after famine, even after being pulled away from our from our homeland, there is still going to be a hope. And I want to remind you that we are a people who are still calling out to a nation around us and a people around us and to a world around us and saying even though times look tough, I want to remind you that there is a returning king who is coming to rule and to reign forever and forever. And now is the moment when you must declare him as Lord of your life. The holy seed is its stump. We have a verdict to, to expect, but there is a grace that has been given and extended to us through Jesus Christ. What does it look like to carry out the mission of God? Some people say, well, I'm, you know, you're, you're obviously, you're, teacher preacher you're someone who gets up in front of churches on a regular basis that might be easy for you that's not easy for me my friend that we all of us you have circles of influence that i will never ever know and so the reality of the assignment uh, as so far as it depends upon those people that's your portion of the kingdom in which god desires for you to be the ambassador for that you have a response to take that verdict of of even though there is devastation coming for those who remain in their unbelief, there is hope for those who have come to Christ in faith. A picture of that that I like to share is a story of, of Johnny, the preacher. Uh, when he was going to uh, seminary, 
And he was learning, he, man, he loved everything about the church. He loved his church. He wanted to serve it. He, he loved the education programs. He loved singing in the choir. He loved doing different things for his church. And he loved serving his church. And so he went to seminary saying, I'm going to serve the church for the rest of my life. The one thing that I really don't want to do is I don't want to preach. And so he put off the preaching class that was required to the last semester of his time. What he didn't realize was is that when you put that class off to the last semester, you're one of the classes that's going to have to preach the chapel to the seminary on Wednesdays. And so he was devastated when he found that out. In fact, instead of having a here am I, send me, he had a... You know that move in school when you, try to, you don't know the answer and you want to make sure the teacher doesn't call upon you? professor finally caught on to what johnny was doing week after week when they give assignments and he says johnny you are going to uh, have to preach next wednesday so johnny went home and he said oh man what am i going to do i don't know what i'm going to preach so he turned on the television set and the radio and he was listening to some of the the great preachers of the, of his day and he started listening to, to you know all these different people i usually mention people at this point of the story uh but the, all of my references are baptist and so i don't want to offend anybody in the room so the idea of, of of listening to these preachers on the tv and on on the on the radio he started listening to them and he said i i want to i want to be like them and but then he realized everybody's going to know that i'm copying those guys so he said, I don't want to do that. So he had a legal pad, and he was writing out ideas, and he had he balled it up and throw it in the trash can, and before the week's end, he had a trash can full of ideas that he wasn't going to carry out. He shows up on that Wednesday having no idea what he's going to preach. A beautiful song service. All these men and women going to dedicate their lives to serving King Jesus at the seminary. And so they begin to sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Beautiful song service. Johnny gets up behind the pulpit. And he's as nervous as he can be. And he looks at the crowd. And seminary is a very pious place, okay? And they're sitting there, yes, brother, yes. He says, do you, do you know what I'm going to say? They looked at him, yes, brother, yes. Yes, brother, we know, we know. He says, well, good, let's just have a time of invitation. <laughs> Professor is not pleased. Johnny, because you didn't take this seriously, somebody else in the class is going to miss their opportunity. You're going to do this, and you're going to do it next week. Oh, man. Johnny was nervous. He hit the library. He said, I'm going to have to find something. So he went to some old Charles Spurgeon you know, sermons. He went to Jonathan Edwards, and he was reading some of the great Reformation sermons. He's like, I'm going to, I need to stir these people up. And he says, every one of these guys have studied, and they're going to know Spurgeon and Edwards, and I'm not going to be able to, to come into here and preach these messages. They're going to know that I'm, I'm copying these guys. Even the style, they're going to know that I'm trying to copy that style. I don't know what to preach. So the next Wednesday comes, a beautiful song service. Oh, victory in Jesus. All these wonderful men and women who are going to go serve the Lord Jesus on the, the very forefronts of Christendom. They're singing with all of their hearts and because they love this King Jesus. Johnny gets up behind the, the pulpit. And he says, uh, Y'all know what I'm going to say? And everybody was there last week. 
And they said, no, we, we don't know what you're going to say. I mean, they're shaking their heads. No, no, we don't know what you're going to say because I don't either. Let's just have a time of invitation. And he goes down and they, Professor, I mean, he is livid. Two people miss their opportunity. You're going to have a message next week. So he goes home, does the same process. He studies, he listens, he's going through combing, combing through things he visits a church over here on a sunday but sunday night he goes to a different church kind of gets some different ideas nothing comes to him doesn't have an idea what he's going to say so he gets up that next wednesday beautiful song service they love the lord they're singing out they're they're just praising and adoring king jesus he gets up behind that great pulpit once again begins with this question So all of you know what I'm going to say. And half of them go, yeah, we know what you're going to say. And the other half is, no, there's no telling what Johnny's going to say. And so half of the room is going, yes, we know what Johnny's going to say. The other half is going, no, there's no telling what Johnny's going to say. And in a moment of inspiration, Johnny says this. Those of you who know, go tell those who don't. Let's have a time of invitation. <laughs> Crossroad, there's lots of people in these neighborhoods, in this city, who don't know the Jesus that you know. Those of you who know, go tell those who don't. Let's have a time of invitation. Lord, we thank you for this time that you have given to us to discover truth from your word. Lord, I pray we think about the mission of an almighty God who has forgiven me from my muck and my mire and my sin. He has washed me clean through the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we want to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we, we spend so much time in fear and, and concern and, and, and we, 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 we doubt our own abilities, but Lord, we don't doubt you. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word today we pray that you would move us to compassion for our neighbor for those who don't know you lord apart from you we are eternally bound to a fate of destruction lord because of your grace not because of what we bring to the table but because of your grace you have forgiven us and so lord we pray that you would move us to compassion for the lost in our neighborhoods in our communities in our circles of influence let us be mighty ambassadors for you. Guide us and lead us. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. I want to say that this would be a time of invitation for you. For those of you who don't know Jesus, what an opportunity for you to simply stick around. We'd love to share with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are of the faith, who know the story. I encourage you this week, grab that face, grab that mind, grab that name in your head right now and say, Lord, give me the boldness and prepare my heart to be your bold proclaimer of the gospel truth to these people in my life. Lord, let me be the witness that you've called me to be that even if they don't follow after me, Lord, the reality of what he's saying is I want you to obey even though nobody's going to listen to you. Isaiah's going to preach for the next 60 chapters of this book and nobody turns 
You see, God doesn't honor the things of, of, our, of our ideas of success. But He delights in our obedience. And God is wanting you to be obedient to this great commission task that is still before us today. To go to a people and say there is hope in Jesus' sacrifice. Won't you be about that today? Won't you put those names and those people in your own lives that you know are far apart from God? Would you go and be the ambassadors for them? Get, pray that God would give you boldness from on high. If you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, don't leave here before you have answers of what that looks like. Would you stand as we respond to the Lord in song and, and we recognize those things? We can be in a spirit of prayer as we sing Jesus Messiah.